University's talk show, Taking Old School Viral. I'm your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie. It's embarrassing, all the stupid things I can think of to think about. Is there anything that could really bring my mind back to myself? Welcome, neighbor, and welcome to Folk U Radio 101 here on CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio. On Folk U 101, we ask our neighbors, what do you know? And today's show is on the lost art of reading. Do people still read? Well, on Cortez and the nearby islands, they sure do. My idea of the perfect summer day involves lots of time curled up with a good book. And likewise, books have also been my escape during COVID when isolation or uncertainty weighed heavy. So what about you? What about the rest of us? What are we reading? To answer this and learn more about how we make books available on this tiny little island, I have joining me today Julie Nelson from Marnie's Books and Bernice McGowan of the Louisa Tucker Bookmobile Lending Library. Where are you listening from today? Who are the people that have walked and cared and told stories about the land and water where you live, work, and play? Cortez Community Radio sits on the ancestral and territorial lands of the Klahus, Tlaiamen, and Hamalco peoples. I'd like to thank this land, the people who've walked this land through time, and all those that continue to love, work, and, hey, tell stories to honor this place we call home. So, is reading a lost art? What are you reading now? What books were important to you during this pandemic or in other times in your life? I'd love to have you join in the conversation today. So call in uh, during the breaks and share with us at 250-935-0200. That's 250-935-0200. Or there is a million people out here at the Friday market. So if you're one of those people at the market or listening or just are listening from home and want to come flying on by, you can come and just stop in and show us what you're reading. Maybe there'll be time at the end of this, um, at the end of the interviews where you can actually come into the studio if you feel like spontaneous interviews, because who doesn't like to talk about what they're reading? I think everyone does. So first, welcome, Julie. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Amanda. Thank you. I know. Um, I, I there's just, there's only a few working people clearly right now. <laughs> Everybody else is hanging out in the sunshine. So, and I know you're one of the people working, and I've taken you away from your work to be here. So, um, an extra special, special, special <laughs> thank you. Okay, so I want to start. Um, to just know and talk a little bit more about you and why books 
are important to you and what you mm-hmm. think the importance of reading is in this day and age. Okay, well, I prepared a little bit um, anticipating the anxiety that I sometimes feel about public speaking, even though we're alone in this room together. Um, so one thing that I uh, thought about was Herman Hesse's essay, The Magic of the Book. And he argued that no matter how much technology evolves, and this is like in the 30s, so you know, a really long time ago, before way, way, way before the internet existed, he argued that no matter how much technology evolves, that books are going to hold great importance for humans. Um, and the quote that I wrote down is, we need not fear a future elimination of the book. On the contrary, the more that certain needs for entertainment and education are satisf- satisfied through other... Um, inventions, the more the book will win back in dignity and authority. And I really like this quote. It's, um, I think, really true for me that, like, while information can come really, really fast from the internet or from other forms of media, um, there's something that feels really sacred about holding a book, holding that object. It feels gentler, like it doesn't feel the same, like, rushed... um, the same sort of the draining feeling that sometimes being on the internet can feel. And so as a way to learn, it feels like perfect. Like there's so much more for me connectivity in holding that object that's been printed, that someone's worked so hard on. Um, And also gentleness, like I said before, like I feel like I really need gentleness in the world and that the internet can really be hard on me or like being on the computer too much can be really hard on me. So to learn, like books have been like the central, like other than sort of lived experience thing in my life. And then I wrote another quote too. Can I can I say the other quote too? Because it's really beautiful. It's a Rebecca Solnit. Is that okay? Do we have time for that? Okay. Um, so she's writing actually in this book that I don't know if you know Maria Popova, but she does the the um, website Brain Pickings and. She published this book called Letters to a Young Reader that um, is a play on Letters to a Young Poet, which is like such an important book for so many people. Um, and I, so this is letters from a bunch of different amazing um, writers and artists and scientists on why books are important to them. And this one really, really resonated with me. Um, so rather than use my own words, I'm going to steal Rebecca Solnitz. <laughs> Nearly every book has the same architecture, cover, spine, and pages, but you put them on, on, but you open them onto worlds and gifts far beyond what paper and ink are. And on the inside, they are every shape and power. Some books are toolkits you take up to fix things from the most practical to the most mysterious, from your house to your heart. Or to make things from cakes to ships. Some books are wings. Some are horses that run away with you. Some are parties to which you are invited, full of friends who are there even when you have no friends. (laughs) In some books you meet one remarkable person. In others, a whole group or even a culture. Some books are medicine, bitter and clarifying. Some books have long journeys and at the end you are not the same person you were at the beginning. Summer handheld lights you can shine on almost anything. And then, I won't continue quoting it, but she goes on to talk about her 
like really fraught childhood and not having like a sense of family or love in her childhood, it being violent and dis distressing. And that books for her like built this shelter and built this sense of belonging. And that's what they were for me too. Like that I didn't feel like I had the safest time as a kid and um, I, that I didn't. And that books like gave me that sense of belonging and safety and shelter and, and family in the world and they still do. Like they still make me feel a sense of belonging and connection with other humans that is really special and unique, I think. Um, was that? <laughs> that was okay. such a beautiful um, insight and I love those quotes uh, because they're touching on something that I have often felt and I'll sometimes go to research and there's such interesting research, even you know, reading um, online uh, I think we retain something like only 70% of what we read online versus in a book. Mm -hmm. um, and I do feel like there's this depth and or the way that Rebecca was saying it, a container. Mm -hmm. um, and also that I feel like the way the Internet has progressed and there's lots of research on this. So people can go deep into this world if they want. Um, much of how the Internet has prog progressed, what it has come is about dividing us mm -hmm. right is about giving you the information that you will want to read and me the information that i will want to read mm -hmm. and um and what i love about a book is that it's the same story that we are allowed to create shared and common metaphor and experience mm -hmm. even though it's filtered through our completely different lifestyles and mm -hmm. lenses and experiences yeah um so I think that's really beautiful. So I'm wondering if you um, maybe can tell us a little bit more about what's going on these days at Marnie's and your involvement there. Yeah, um, I <laughs> I know Marnie's listening, so that this is going to be a little bit cheesy. But I just feel so honored. I mean, it would be cheesy anyways. <laughs> but um, I feel so honored that she thought of me to be a part of the bookstore. Like, she's just someone I admire so much. And the bookstore is like a place that's been like that I've felt comfortable and safe and that I've, you know, come to love over the years that I've lived here. And so for her to ask me to become a partner in it was just like so beautiful and kind of mind-blowing and um and so far we've been doing it as sort of a trial like I'm not actually a partner in the bookstore right now um but it's been going really well and I feel like we both are very excited to move forward with it um yeah I love it it feels like something that's so precious and to steward it um yeah, I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity to, to steward it along with Marnie. Um, and, and I don't know so much about like changes or future things like that. Like I, I think um, <laughs> I was joking with her that like she wants to call the bookstore Marnie and Julie's and I don't. I want it to be Marnie's still. <laughs> and, because it's like she built this thing that's so beautiful and that she's put so much into and it feels important for me that the name like reflect that um 
but also it's like an ongoing conversation and and also we're like yeah just there's a lot of little things to work out because she's been running it on her own you know for I think 20 years so there's a lot of things to like navigate and it's so wonderful navigating them with her she's always so sweet and generous so and it's really cool I, I guess like what I can say about being a part of it is that a couple things one is that I've like loved having people come in who I've known like peripherally for years but don't know well and then to like get to know their interest in books is such a beautiful thing and like deepening intimacy with the community and then also I love books and so like to be able to spend my time my work time researching books and and ordering books that I've loved and sharing them with other people and talking about them is like really a dream it's uh, i have a funny anecdote actually or a, a ser like a serendipitous sort of story that my friend emma and i went to victoria and for like dental work and i spent most of my free time in bookstores like in russell's and a bunch of other different little used bookstores and emma came to the, the like couple bookstores with me one day and she was like why don't you own a bookstore like you love this and I you know you're just talking and talking to the people about books for hours and you know so happy in these bookstores and I was like I'm not going to compete with Marnie like on Cortez and like it's like a dream that isn't going to happen and then a week after I got back I didn't tell Marnie about this at all she asked me to like consider co-owning the store with her so super neat like beautiful magical timing there <laughs> yeah it just makes me so happy because there's nobody who lives here and loves books who doesn't just love Marnie's and yeah. I've had authors in to the studio and um, authors that I've met that have been to Cortez and they all talk about Marnie's and mm -hmm. how um, what a great job she does and and making she authors does. also feel great and seen and recognized and mm -hmm. and speaking beautifully about their work, which is such a mm -hmm. like is the other part that we want right <laughs> yeah. um, from from a bookseller um, so I, th I just feel so excited about this partnership so um I feel like I want to talk to you about books. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so I feel like there's a couple of things that you can tell us about right now. Um, so maybe first we talk about books that uh, you're seeing that other people are reading right now mm -hmm. or books that you're bringing into the store um, mm -hmm. that, that you're seeing are popular or that people are seeking. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the first things that I thought to talk about were the books in the store on ecology. And I haven't like read a ton of them, but um, they're very popular right now for really obvious reasons with like how um, blatant um, or like how obvious climate change feels and with some of the um, like fights to protect remaining stands of old growth um, in the province are going and all over the world um, all of the like ecological issues so the books that I'm thinking of are uh, Suzanne Samard's The Mother Tree, Finding the Mother Tree um, and it's actually 
written by the woman who uh, the character's name is Patricia Westerford in The Overstory. So that character in The Overstory is based on Suzanne Samard's life. And this is her like her work on ecology and on, on the way that trees communicate with each other. And it's been really popular. It's like a really, really, uh, like <laughs> I guess you would say, hot title <laughs> right now. Um, and and then like also this other book um, that has been very popular called Greenwood, which I also haven't read, but it's about um, like an island very similar to this island that is the only place left with forest, and it's become this like tourist destination for. Um, people to come and be able to be around the last trees that exist. And I've heard really, really great things about it, and it's like selling like hotcakes, and people really like it. It gets great reviews. People really, really like it. So those books came to mind, and the Overstory, of course, as well, um, has been really popular for a number of years um, for a good reason. Um, and then in terms of the things that I'm bringing in, I really like, I'm in a real like deep, like lyric essay kind of zone <laughs> right now. I recently read um, Bluets by Maggie Nelson, which she, she begins by saying, do you think it's something like this? I'm not gonna quote it perfectly, but is it possible that I've fallen in love with a color? And it's an exploration of the color the color itself and like all these different like literary and historical references to the color blue but then it's also interwoven with this like incredibly painful beautiful story of a loss of a lover and so there's just this, like it's um i've heard it described as like almost that she refracts the color blue like through this story of loss um and the way that she writes about this person and about the color and in like a lyric essay format. It's so stunning. And then um, similar to that, I've been reading, I've just finished Anne Boyer's book, The Undying, which is a memoir lyric essay about her uh, struggle with breast cancer. And it's it's not just personal to her, like she really expands it to be about like the breast cancer industrial complex and gender politics and um, it's it's also really it's difficult like it's a really really painful book um, you know it's like she's going through this horrible um, process and she's very explicit about it but it also feels really important to like look closely at like what death, how how we look at death in our culture and um, and like the sort of like really gross like under the, swept under the carpet things about about getting cancer and and not knowing exactly like what to do with your body and doctors making a lot of assumptions and yeah I really enjoyed that. Should I keep saying books that I've read? <laughs> okay, I've read all of these just in the last like um, week or two, so, and I've ha also brought them into the store. So they're books that are available that I've really enjoyed. Um, I also just read um, A History of My Brief Body by Billy Ray Belcourt. Um, he's a Cree writer from Alberta, from outside of Edmonton. He's a poet. He also wrote a book called This Wound is a World. 
that is so beautiful too. I really love poetry. So um, a lot of these books are by poets. They're like essay by poets. But I've been very into this sort of genre. And it's about like um, the like unavailability of joy for indigenous bodies in Canada and like how restrictive like Canada as like an institution is to indigenous people. And it looks at that from a lot of different aspects and a lot of different contexts. And it's like, you know, this poetic work, but it's also like very um, relevant right now and important, I think, for white people to read too, to like take on some of the work of like anti-racism and of like unlearning racism in our own lives and to see clearly how difficult Canada makes it for indigenous people to like hold joy and not that people don't still find that but it's like a radical act against like the system that exists um so yeah those are some of the books that I wrote down a bunch more um that I've been reading recently oh I've been reading a lot about transformative justice recently and there's there's lots of work on transformative justice in the store right now too because it's a subject that I've been like very interested in um like the book beyond survival that i just read that's a uh, it's a bunch of different authors it's like kind of a toolkit um for like understanding how like ingrained like punitive justices in in the way that we learn about like how to deal with being harmed or harming like to see someone who harms as someone who deserves harm because that's like what we see in in like our justice system like when you go to jail you're harmed you know and if you do harm you're you deserve to go to a place where you're going to be harmed and this book really looks closely at like how can we unlearn that and when we see someone harming like find safer ways be creative and find safer ways to deal with that that harming that's happening and i think it's really relevant to a small community like this too that doesn't have police and that like harmful things do happen and then how do we navigate those in a way that actually might like be transformative and not just like piling harm upon harm which i think is what normally happens and you know reading a book like this you see it even in yourself like like how do i immediately when i'm harmed like think that you know the person who's harmed me you know like deserves to not be cared for or something which is just total baloney but i mean it's like we get we get these things really ingrained in us by just looking around so reading books like this i think is really important and we've got another one in the store too a couple others but the other one i'll mention is adrian marie brown's new book we will not cancel us which is an essay on cancel culture and transformative justice and yeah, like a way forward out of punitive justice. Um, <laughs> I also read the Canada Reads winner recently, Johnny Appleseed. It's a coming of age story about a young guy named Johnny. He's a two-spirit um, queer indigenous young man who moves to the city, the city um, being Vancouver in this case, to do sex work. And no, the city is Winnipeg. I'm sorry about that. It's Winnipeg. Um, and 
and then to like try and find his way home after a family member dies and it's just like within the course of a, a number of weeks but I really enjoyed his writing it's like very um beautiful poetic like weird you know when you read something and you're like wow this is a very different way of expressing and I really enjoy that like for it not to be like you know um expected and I felt surprised by it which I really really liked I could go on but you can interrupt me now <laughs> those I, I, I just want to go and read all of them um, and but I noticed that the first things that you mentioned were many of them were nonfiction or essays mm-hmm. and I I essays are probably my preferred art form for myself for writing mm-hmm. I love essays and I'm wondering do people buy essays like do people read essays yes okay. yes people totally buy essays more people want fiction and I also read a lot of fiction generally um, but people do read essays like people do want to like learn through and not that you can't learn through fiction I feel like stories are a wonderful way to learn like to read about someone else's lived experience, whether or not it's fiction or nonfiction is a wonderful way to to learn. But um, yeah, I I think because I'm really passionate about like many of the books that I've just mentioned, I've been really like on it with choosing good books recently. Like that translates and people see like, and I, and I, I feel like when you're in front of someone and you're saying like, this is how this changed me or how this, helped me to grow or to understand more about like the culture that I'm within um yeah people want want to learn for sure lots of people buy essays and nonfiction. yeah just makes me so excited about people <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> people you're great um okay so I also I love reading fiction um and I bet there's lots of books that you can recommend in that genre. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm wondering if you could start by like talking about in yourself or if you've seen with other people a change in what they wanted to read during the pandemic. Oh, well, I guess it, like I should say I've only been at the store since like, I guess, April. Um, so I, I haven't had a ton of experience like of pre-pandemic bookstore working <laughs> and post-pandemic bookstore working. I'm going to just think about myself and people close to me because, um, yeah, and I think I'm going to say no, that there hasn't been like a huge change for me or like the people who I'm close with. I think that like over time definitely everyone's goes through phases where they might want something a little bit more intellectual and heavy or where they want something that's really um accessible and light and fun um but like generally i haven't seen like a a big swing one way or the other um and and the people that i'm close with and i think part partly that might be just like the way that we live here that that you know many of us have had pods of people who were close to that were still able to be around a lot and to be outside as much as we can be whereas um, people in the city maybe were very you know isolated and their reading may have increased or 
or change to like reflect what they were missing in the world like Rebecca Solnit says to to be able to go to a party and like be around all your friends even when you don't have any friends I mean I think that um yeah like being being able to go into like social situations or relational situations like through reading would make a lot of sense to me if that increased um for people who felt like that was really at a deficit during the pandemic um and i don't think that that was the case for me i think that i've read a lot this year but not necessarily more re relationally um generally <laughs> Um, and okay, so I, I want to hear some of the fiction that, that you, I love. That you love, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, there's a lot. I wrote some down too because there's so much and it's hard to um, organize it all. <laughs> I love, love, love uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. I love Americana. I love Half a Yellow Sun. They're such beautiful books, they're so interesting. Is she, they start out in Nigeria, she's a Nigerian writer. Um, and, it, and sort of her growing up in Nigeria and her first love in Nigeria and then immigrating to the States for university. And then it becomes a lot about race and from an African black person's perspective, from a Nigerian black person's perspective, like how race plays out in the States. And like, it's this really interesting perspective, but it's also like, well, being political, very personal the whole way through and I love that like when it can you're learning a lot about you know a system or like a culture and you're also like really getting to know a character deeply and their longing and their desire and their curiosity about the world and I felt very close to that that um character in the book um and I, I loved that book. Yeah, it was really beautiful. <laughs> um, I really love this. Really love Janet too. Frame's memoir, An Angel at My Table. Um, I think it's one of my favorite books ever. It's about a young woman who has uh, some anxiety and depression issues and is put into an asylum by her family um, at a young age and remains there for more than 10 years. Um, being treated horribly, like it's a, a really desperate, like a really abusive place. And sh and she's subjected to like intense electroshock therapy for many years. And then um, leaves that situation to heal through writing. And it's about her like, journey as an artist and a writer like post this like devastating thing happening and it's so beautiful I love her writing it's just like it's hard to describe <laughs> but it's like you just get so deep into her world and also as an artist to be reminded of like the commitment that it takes and like what it can offer if you're willing to be committed to it in such a way. Um, and I feel like that's really like the biggest gift that book had for me, like that reminder. Um, okay, I wanted to say like a seminal graphic novel for me as a kid, as a teenager. Can I talk about like sex stuff on this show? Is that okay? Yes. 
Okay. Uh, just, no, 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 you know, it's not too. Parents, if you're listening. <laughs> it's not too. I did have one person write in once after we were talking about Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, you just outed Santa Claus to my kid. Oh, no. <laughs> so, you know, uh, disclaimers. Sex is a thing, and we we're going to talk about it. <laughs> well, Black Hole is like, it's written by Charles Burns, written and drawn by Charles Burns. And it's like teens living in Portland, outside of Portland, mostly. The, most of the like um, plot takes place in like you know back roads and stuff outside of Portland, where the kids are partying. But the the sort of central thing of the book is that there's this like very strange sexually transmitted transmitted disease going around, um, wherein if you have sex with someone who has it you start like sprouting these weird little like other orifices on your body like mouths mostly that then like whisper stuff to you in in the night <laughs> and it is amazing it's so weird i really like weird stuff so it's it's very weird and like just speaks so much to how awkward it is to be a teenager and like to be like discovering your sexuality and like not really knowing you know how all your parts work and and like and and feeling like sometimes traumatized or harmed by some of the experiences that you do have not really knowing your body well enough to like um go into those deeper places of intimacy um safely and I think it expresses that really wonderfully. So that's another one that I thought I'd mentioned to like diversify the things that I'm... Oh, okay, some classic... Uh, the classic thing that I picked was A Room with a View. I love that book so much. It's written by a man, <laughs> which bothers me a little, but it not that, not that books by men bother me, but that it's about, I feel like the central thing for me in that book is about like this woman you know at a time when women weren't really allowed this demanding passion and like and real love and like I think like I also wrote down Audre Lorde's book to talk about Sister Outsider which I think is like one of the most important books I've ever read Um, and she talks a lot about like the erotic and like the right to she's talking specifically about women of color but the right to women of color and women to like erotic like to a pleasurable life to an excited life to like a life that's deep and meaningful and that feels full um and like and that's what the main character in a room with a view also asks for and demands like you know a hundred years earlier like that she not be you know carted off to be just like this dead inside housewife but that she travels to Italy and she falls in love with this person in like a you know a very intense romantic way and um I love that book (laughs) A Room with a View very very good book Ian Forrester um and some sci-fi my fav- one of my favorite books ever is the Broken Broken Earth trilogy. It's three books, the Broken Earth trilogy. Um, it's it's by N.K. Jemisin. It's so brilliant. Like 
the world that she creates is just so far away from our world. It's post-apocalypse, but it's like very otherworldly too. It's not just like our Earth post-apocalypse. Um, there are like these di dif this different species that can like turn into rock and like move through the world, and these obelisks that exist, like these rock obelisks that like certain people are drawn to, and it's so, so complex. It's such an otherworldly experience. And sometimes, like, especially at, for me, the hardest of times, going to, like, a totally other world. Like, I remember many years ago in my early 20s having a difficult breakup and reading The Lord of the Rings, like, the whole... And just feeling like I was so transported that it was okay. Like, I, like it was a way for me to, like, mitigate some of the difficult feelings that I was having and same with Broken Earth Trilogy like it's such a great place to go if you're having a hard time because it's like very very um transporting and also personal again it's like that has to be there for me that like intimacy with the characters I feel like that's really really important for me in fiction um should I keep going <laughs> I I don't know. I loved, I love Chekhov's stories too. For like a bit more. Um, actually, I'm going to talk about this because this was like the first summer I spent on Cortez in 2009. I got this like huge volume of Chekhov's stories out of the library, which is right. He it was right here then. It was in the wh what the w women's center is now, um, and it was just this massive book of stories and I carried it around with me for weeks and I was working at the museum but I lived in Tiber Bay and at that time Mary Point was pretty open like you could just wander around wherever out there and I would walk and read like walk and read these stories that you know you're in this like beautiful bright summer Cortez place and you're reading these stories about like the most depressing Russia, you know, <laughs> like just like he's so he's so like dark and dour and like funny, like they're funny stories, but they're also like very depressing stories. <laughs> so it was like I think I liked the juxtaposition of like being in this place, the brightness and then being able to go into like a darker literary place but like feel so supported by being here that it wasn't like weighing on me too much although he he does that himself by making the the story so comedic i think <laughs> you wouldn't even need the the scenery necessarily because they're so funny um and during like during the pandemic were you still able to retreat into some of those same kinds of books or did it feel I mean it sounds like you pretty much were able to continue reading as you read mm -hmm. um so I'm gonna guess the answer is no but um uh, I'm one like did you like return to Chekhov or return to any of the um like World War II uh fiction or things like that that um like have a sort of parallel um darkness Yes, um, I did a bit of a dive this year into like um, the writing of Holocaust survivors. So I read um, Ali Wiesel's Night. I also read some of his essays on um, moral philosophy. 
And um, I also have been reading Viktor Frankl's uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, I don't know if it was because of the pandemic. I think that, it, like I said before, like it is pretty normal for me to like want to remember about like horrible things that have happened in the world. Um, you know, like reading Billy Ray Belcourt's work, that's really about genocide as well in a number of ways. And so, yeah, it's important for me to, I think it's like a bit of a, I maybe overdo it a little bit. Like I do really um, go pretty deeply into into reading about like horrific things that have happened in the world. And I think a big part of why I do it, like I, I think it's important to remember and to like understand why humans do this sort of stuff to understand like I don't know that I believe in um evil I think that like there like there is something that feels like evil in the world to me but I don't know if I believe that that like individuals are evil so like to understand why individuals or how individuals could act in those sorts of ways and to like think about like I I've thought a lot about what Elie Wiesel says about um, about some of like a quote of his about moral philosophy that like if you ever see someone being humiliated in any way that you wouldn't sit back like in our in our little lives here to like never see someone being talked down to or humiliated and just like let it slide um, to remember that like that this is a real thing like that little subtle misogynistic racist whatever things that like th those hold power that they that they gain momentum and it's happened lots of times just in contemporary history like that in recent history that like these things have have gotten out of control and been dev like just horrible so to remember that is like something that i i, I return to annually I think in one form or another maybe even more consistently than that just generally to return to that and and try and remember I like that um, explanation and I I have read that like that statistically books of World War II mm -hmm. uh, fiction were just like like selling like hotcakes all through the pandemic oh, wow. and so it makes me think that um that we're drawn to stories that allow us to reflect on our current condition mm -hmm. just like you're saying to understand in a deeper way uh what's happening and mm -hmm. i uh, i for me i love historic fiction and i found myself reading a lot of world war ii fiction through the pandemic i tend to read world war ii fiction and enjoy it anyway but during the pandemic i really wanted it mm -hmm. um because i want it, it was like i needed to understand something about humanity kind of like mm -hmm. you're you're discussing like the ways that we may not be evil mm -hmm. but we can um sort of slide into evil mm -hmm. um or perpetuate evil acts maybe it's that we can mm -hmm. perpetuate evil without being evil mm -hmm. um 
And so I, f- I mean, I feel like there's beautiful uh, reading in that way. And I, 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 you've, you already warned me that your genre is not necessarily young adult fiction, but I really do look at young people right now. Mm-hmm. And you're not so old yourself, uh, <laughs> so I want to have <laughs> this conversation. We're probably very similarly aged. That's nice. Uh, <laughs> I'm 82. I just look really good. <laughs> um, so yeah. So I, but I. Want wonder like if you were to want to try to guide young people today into a deeper understanding of themselves as a member uh, of a time and a place and a people within a history um, and to wake up to some of the to kind of their potential to uh, to inherit a future that has to make sense of climate change and a pandemic and probably many more pandemics and just genocide after genocide after genocide how would you get them started like what place and what point do you feel like people are ready to read um about those big things and do you have like books that really stood out to you early on that helped guide you I did read some World War II um, young adults, like, I guess it's even like almost children's fiction. When I was a child, I read Kit Pearson's A Light Goes On. Is that the title of it? I think so. Um, A Light Goes On Again, maybe, I think is the the entire title. Um, And I, I remember like really loving it. And I do recommend it to people. It's It's been a very long time since I read it. I read it as a child. Um, but books that I've loved, like, as an adult, um, that are young, young adults, are, like, I love Watership Down. And I think that it does really, like, look at a lot of intense, like, loss and destruction in this way that's, like, made a little bit softer for for young people and I don't know that's such a big question like how at what age should we just be like okay go for it read anything I had a young person come into the store not that long ago who was with their parent they were 14 and wanted uh, sci-fi and I I suggested the Broken Earth trilogy and sold them the first book and they and I warned them, like, this is actually a very brutal book and their parent. And they also were like, that's OK. Like, I'm reading I'm reading at this level. And I think probably it is a hard question to answer because it's very individual. Like, there are probably some kids just as there are some adults who don't feel safe to go into, like, more intense issues in literature. And there are, I'm sure a lot of very young people who do feel like it's important to like delve into that in some way. Um, I think I was, I think I may have, I may have sort of jumped ahead a little bit as a young person, like in my reading, I think I read what I wanted. Like my parents weren't really um, paying attention and I did read a lot of stuff that was maybe a little bit intense for me. Um, and 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 that I couldn't understand really. Yeah, and I mean, having an adult like you're talking about this book club for young adult for for teenagers, 
and having an adult like sort of guiding a little bit like if you are going to have like more intense content I think is uh, really wise or to have an adult who's at least available to debrief a little bit if a if a younger person is reading something very intense um, like in terms of other start points um, I think the chrysalids is is kind of timeless like I read it as an adult and in high school and it's just like this story about like con connection and, and what's allowed in terms of like how we connect and how we evolve and how we move forward from our parents or how we learn to to go beyond what what we've learned from our parents and the oppression like that exists too and that, that is trying to stop these kids who have you know become psychically connected f from connecting um i love that book too it's really beautiful um and i love for teens graphic novels like a, a book that i've been selling a lot that is one of my favorite graphic novels ever is on a sunbeam by tilly walden it's about this like group of like queer young women who are like art restoration artists and they travel around the galaxy like restoring art in buildings and and old historic buildings on alien planets and it's like incredibly beautifully drawn um yeah it's a wonderful wonderful graphic novel and the story itself is like a standalone story as well and you know dealing with all of the like love and politics and of being a young person and yeah it's beautiful i have to mention another graphic novel and i really appreciate you including graphic novels um now this is the second one you've mentioned as important novels um because i think that's something that i've really seen in my adult life which is this rise of a genre mm -hmm. it's the rise of the genre of the graphic novel mm -hmm. um i went to i got my master's from the school of the art institute in chicago uh, which is deep into the into um, you know kind of the creation and the and the burgeoning of that genre, mm -hmm. so that always feels really exciting. And so my youngest daughter, who's eleven, her favorite book right now um, is "When Stars Are Scattered," mm -hmm. which we got at Marnie's, um, and it is a beautiful graphic novel by Victoria Jameson, who is a graphic novelist, and mm -hmm. she co-writes it with Omar Mohammed, and who is also the subject of the novel, so it's uh, autobiographical about mm -hmm. his story growing up in a refugee camp after escaping war-torn Somalia mm -hmm. um, with his brother. And it's just, I can barely talk about it um, without crying, because mm -hmm. is it? I think it's just an incredible introduction to a profound truth that you know all people have to learn to live with which is the the hard edge of any happy ending which mm -hmm. is you know if you grow up in a refugee camp what is your happy ending mm -hmm. you know maybe at best you get out but certainly not everybody you love and who deserves it ever gets out mm -hmm. and sometimes for generation and generation so you know just that the the beautiful, the beautiful, heartwarming and heart aching story, told in a way that is really accessible mm -hmm. to younger readers, but is also just as accessible to older readers mm -hmm. because of the absolute truth um, of it. So, just how to put that out there, um, and then I'd love your ideas um, for 
people who are uh, kind of reluctant readers, like people who are, you know, adults who've maybe torn, turned away from reading, mm-hmm. um, or never really found their, their joy that way. But after listening to us, want to give it another, another try. Do you have books that you recommend in that genre? <laughs> In that the category of, of books for people who don't want to read right now, but books because <laughs> graphic novels are great for that. I mean, so don't I think adults shouldn't think that graphic novels can't be for them because I find like just like for reluctant readers with youth, mm-hmm. like and there's some incredible interpretations of what a graphic novel is now, of which I'm sure you can go and check out. Yeah, mice. well, I I think that the graphic novel thing really is like the thing that I would, especially for teens who aren't um, very interested in reading or having trouble getting engaged with it. I wanted to say one other book just to tell you about it. It's in the store. It's called The Best We Could Do. And it's about a a Vietnamese family in a refugee camp and then immigrating to the States. And it's also like incredibly drawn. And the story is like, yeah, you could read it as a novel without the drawings, but then you've got these incredible drawings as well. It's really, really wonderful. Um, I had a friend actually ask me this week, like, I haven't been reading that much lately. And what would you suggest? Um, and I think what I usually would do would be to go to the things that have been like the most important for me. Like in this case, I suggested Lilith's Brood by Octavia Butler, um, which is sci-fi, um, and just a really important book to me. Um, it's, I'll tell you a little bit about it. It's also like a end of the end of the world at like um end of like post-human kind of book where we basically destroyed the planet and these aliens these alien creatures come and like extract the last few humans away from the earth like as the earth has like become completely uninhabitable um and they their their whole thing is to to interbreed with other species and like evolve in that way like by inter finding species that they're somewhat compatible with and then interbreeding and making like a whole new species and it's so wonderful so that's what i recommended to my pal when he asked about what to read um and yeah i think it's always going to be something that like to to check in with the person like what have you like treated in the past and like what's been inspiring for you and then sort of seeing if there's anything in my repertoire that like fits with that in some way and 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 something that I've loved and there's a lot <laughs> that that I've loved to draw from um and to like offer in in a situation like that but Marnie and I have talked about this a bunch like there is a bit of a blind spot for both of us in our reading and that's that I don't do a lot of like light reading Um, <coughs> I uh, personally feel like I could volunteer myself for more light reading. I mean, not maybe Harlequin romance, but um, I also maybe like unlike you during the pandemic, I really um, uh, t- like I actually wanted escapism um, much more than even usual. I, I I don't I don't think I read as much as you, but I 
really at any one time have probably at least four or five books on the go um, <laughs> That's a lot. and and go through them pretty quickly. Uh, I also listen to audiobooks, which mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in the genre of audiobooks as, as a whole separate genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anybody needs to be convinced about that, I highly recommend whether you're an adult or a child or whoever that you listen to uh, the Harry Potter series read by Jim Dale. Mm. It's such an incredible, rich full-on experience with over 140 voices that he creates for it mm-hmm. that even more than just reading it I really recommend that people experience it through mm-hmm. the ear um, so and I have been loving some mysteries oh, cool! and there's a whole bunch of I feel like these sort of powerful literary female mystery writers that have come out in the mm-hmm. last 10 years or so um, that I highly enjoy. Um, the Rose Code seems like it's really popular right now. I have a kind of like Code. spy, like written by a woman. It's a spy novel about a woman and it's got great reviews and lots of people are buying it. So that's kind of one to check, check to- out if you're wanting something a little lighter a little lighter but yeah i don't i i feel like i should start like reading lighter books just so i have something to offer to people when they come in and want something i'm gonna lighter. send you recommendations um Please the Maisie do. dobbs series is a series that it's like super well written beautifully mm-hmm. written I don't know, there's i think 18 books in the series it's by a former journalist and it follows this detective psychologist Maisie dobbs through pre-world war one to post-world war two mm-hmm. so it's also just a really interesting look at that era in britain so it's really historic fiction but mm-hmm. with a light kind of mystery undertone the mm-hmm. i think is can be really good for either like slightly like I've got a lot going on I don't know if I really want to read readers to those who you know just like need something lighter because there's a pandemic or I don't know they're Mm -hmm. stressed out because they're working 14 jobs and have 12 children Um, (laughs) which you know are a lot of people Mm -hmm. so yeah what else oh what else for like people who don't who don't like to read (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) or you or anyone um oh geez um what else for people who don't like to read or maybe this is a good time i mean i don't want to cut you short but we still haven't talked about the art journal and it's almost two it's been an hour i I told you it would go she didn't believe me i said it's gonna go really fast and she said nobody can talk for an hour about books and i said oh Uh, i can talk for an hour about books but being on the radio for an hour and like i was just like that plus it is a sauna in here Wow. It's pretty warm. Um, so could we talk about the art journal? Sure, yeah. Um, it's it's in process. We have uh, like closed our submissions for now. We have about 20 artists, um, writers, there's poetry, there's two short stories. There's like a art project that's also like... Um, definitely kind of like an ecological exploration there's um a number of painters and drawers Uh, it's really it's exciting and it's scary because it's not it's not something that I have experience in really at all like I I've taken a couple of bookmaking classes but in like making this sort of publication I have 
no experience. Luckily, Beatrix, who's working on it with me, has quite a lot of experience, especially in like the layout and and like working in InDesign to to lay everything out. They are really um, uh, the the pro person in that. Um, but for me, like, and I think in my letter to the editor, I'm going to write a little bit about this too. It was like this kind of image that came into my mind of it being winter and all of these like houses alight all over the island. And there's a children's book actually called Little Grey Rabbit's Party that that also popped into my mind that these little forest creatures are like wandering around the woods and they see a, a house that's lit up and hear like laughter coming from the house. And they sneak up to the window there and they like are, peer through the uh, There's a party going on inside. It's like a children's party. And they immediately are inspired to have their own party. And it, it was like this feeling that like there isn't enough connectivity in art here. Like that we're not like really seeing each other. Like a few people get seen a year at the old schoolhouse gallery. And it's like often a certain a certain kind of thing getting shown there not entirely like there's there's diversity but there's also not <laughs> you know like there's a, a a bit of imbalance i think and so the thinking about wanting to be inspired by what other people are making by their process and i was able to interview a number of people too about what they're working on i interviewed Morgan Thames about the film that he's making about Blue Jay Lake which and i i got to i think i'm like one of the only people that's I, uh, I'm cutting you off um, uh, just for a second to say you're listening to Folk U Radio on CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio. We are super lucky to have Julie Nelson here, and we are talking all things books. And we're just about to hear a little bit more about um, Morgan Tam's uh a piece by Morgan Tam that he's working on, which is a, a video, but he's being featured in a new arts journal that Julie is working on. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, it's, it's getting to do these interviews with Morgan and also with Iris. Um, and Beatrix also interviewed Randy Louie, a Clahous Malahat man, about his carving practice and art practice. Um, it's been wonderful, like just to hear, you know, what inspires people and what makes it hard for them to to continue with an art practice here and like that's the that's the 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 sort of inspiration behind making it and it's yeah quite an adventure <laughs> to actually make it and i hope that it i like it's beautiful the layout so far is beautiful and the things that we've received are beautiful and we're we're getting pretty close to printing it um so it's uh yeah, definitely by mid-late August, we'll have something to sell. And it's exciting to be doing something new like that and learning. And and to be totally honest, it's it has been uncomfortable and scary to like take on that sort of role. I think that I tend to shy away from that and like go read somewhere under a tree you know, like, and to shy away from taking on leadership roles generally and so it's yeah it's it's scary for me for sure and I guess I say that because I know that it's scary for a lot of people and and um also possible <laughs> despite the fear that um many of us may feel around things like that 
I'm so excited that this is happening and so appreciative uh, of you and people like you who are willing to work through the the fear to just add a little bit more connectivity um, and you know soil to grow as artists in this community. So if someone's listening right now and they are looking forward to getting their hands on this art journal when it's out, how do they go about doing that? And if someone's listening right now and maybe they're an artist, a writer, um, and want to be part of the next issue, how would they go about doing that? We'll keep putting things on the tideline. Also, when the journals are finished, and maybe prior to the journals being finished, I might do a little bit of like canvassing for um, just to know who wants to buy them and to do pre-order stuff and get people's information so that we we can print a, sort of the right amount. I don't know. I don't know how how close we're going to be this time around. But yeah, we will do market tables with the journals. We're going to check in with the stores as well, uh, the the Gorge and, and the co-op and Bertha's, and I'll talk to Marnie about putting some of them in there, and um, yeah, I, I, I and <laughs> sorry, I'm stuttering now. I, I'm hopeful that it's going to sell well, and e- like I'll just keep putting my email address up on the tideline with info about about the journal. It would be amazing to have more collaborators, like people who actually want to be making it with us, and to to sort of know a little bit more clearly all the tasks that need to be done right now. We're kind of just like muddling our way through like everything that needs to be done, and I think second time around we'll have a clearer idea of all the positions that could be filled or like all of the roles that could be taken on by other volunteers if people are interested in, in becoming involved. And I think, yeah, we have to, like, really, if we want, like, arts connectivity and community here, like, we do have to be responsible for it, otherwise it's not gonna exist. You're an amazing example of that, like, all you do for for learning and, and the culture of this place is amazing. So, taking some inspiration. <laughs> I'm blushing. <laughs> A radio blush. <laughs> Uh, Well, thank you. I'm really looking forward um, to it. I'm so glad it's happening. Uh, And I really appreciate you coming in today. I feel so inspired. I wrote down a million names. So I'm going to have to come to Marnie's and spend all my hard-earned money (laughs) Um, buying books. But uh, thank goodness um, we can do that. Oh, it feels like, um, you know, inexpensive salvation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, Uh, my pleasure. Um, So now we're going to have some... Uh, Julie's going to talk for a second. Hi. <laughs> I just accidentally turned off my mic and my enthusiasm to get to the music, but I wasn't quite ready. And then the soundboard didn't let me go back on. Uh, you know, it's live radio. Things happen. So we're going to have some book and story themed music today. So I hope this part works well.
Hello, neighbor. You are listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio. And we are talking about the art, lost art of reading. Next, I am excited to introduce Bernice McGowan, who is going to talk to us a little bit about the Louisa Tucker Library and, and books in general. Uh, Bernice, are you there? I am here. Oh, hooray. I have a moment where I get to feel proud of myself for not messing up technology. Yay. So um, thank you so much for taking a moment uh, to be here today. Um, 
and talk a little bit more about books. And I thought maybe before we went into the Louisa Tucker Library and what that is and its history, you might just tell me a little bit about why, why you got involved and what role books have played in your life. Oh, well, I've been, I've just loved reading my whole life since I learned to read, and I've always had a book that I'm working on, and um, I loved reading to my children and introducing them to books, and my children are both readers, and it's just, and my husband is a reader, and um, books are just a part of our life. And when I first moved to Cortez, like 45 or so years ago, um, there was this little library in Whaletown that was um, operated by volunteers, um, and the, it was had books from the regional library as, as part of it. It was it was part of the regional library system, and but it was operated by volunteers, and so. I thought, oh, that would be fun, you know, to do that because I like books and reading. And um, so I volunteered. And um, so I was the keeper of the library um, with Dorothea Carter and with Anne Hyatt for several years. And at that point, it stopped being part of the regional library because they then made, like, a real library at Manson's, of course. And um, they stopped uh, stocking the, the little library, but but there was enough of a, a community spirit and people who loved books enough that we wanted to keep it going, just as a free little library. And um, so I wasn't involved for many years. And and um, when the opportunity came up a couple of years ago to take it, they needed somebody to look after it again. I said, Oh, I can do that. And um, so uh, it's. So much fun. So, um, what it is for people who don't know is um, when you drive down into Whale Town, as if you're going to the government wharf. There's the church on your left, and then the next thing on your right is a little tiny blue building, and that is the Louisa Tooker Library, and it's um, probably one of the oldest buildings on Cortez still in existence on its original site, although there is a story about it being moved across the road, but I don't know when that would have happened um, or where where that would have been. But um, So it was originally the waiting room for the Union Steamship, and um, at some point the uh, and it was operated by the Agricultural Society or something. Anyway, it had a, a bit of another history, which is actually was part of the Whale, Windows on Whaletown exhibit that the museum had. Um, so that is explained, and there's actually a sign on the door that talks about it. That's part of its history. And then it um, ended up going to the Women's Institute, and um, I, Louisa Tooker is um, a real person, and she was a member of the Women's Institute, and she was kind of instrumental in... Um, turning it into, you know, probably a couple of little bookshelves and a library. And Louisa Tooker is actually the grandmother, was actually the grandmother of um, uh, Fred Riddell and Diane Hansen and several other Riddell uh, family members who don't live here anymore. Um, so she was a real person, and there's a little... Um, write-up, newspaper write-up about her in the building. 
And so that's where the building is, and it's actually um, mostly on, part of it's on road allowance, part of it's in midair, and the back piece of it is on wooden posts, uh, which are on private property. So it's, um, a, its situation is slightly precarious. Um, and there was talk when the um, post office had to move of it also moving. And um, I felt that aside from the logistics of having to pack up all the books to, so that it wouldn't be so heavy, um, I, I felt that it's, this is its place in history. This is a building, as I said, is probably one of the oldest buildings on Cortez, still in its original place. And that um, it should just stay where it is as long as people are using it. And um, people are using it. So, um, so that's a bit of the story of the, the library and the building. And um, so how it works is um, there's a door code. Initially, it used to be that somebody would go and sit in the library every Friday afternoon and sign out books to people and give you a date for their return and stuff, and um, that kind of went by the wayside, and people were just using the, getting the key from the post office to go in and take books out. So now it has a, um, a keypad lock, and I will, if you phone me, I will give you, or email me, you, I will give you the code, and I tend to... I don't, don't want to just give it out on the radio. Um, I like to know that you actually live here. <laughs> um, but um, I, I'll be happy to give it to you. And um, so you can go in there at any point. You can go in the middle of the night whenever you want to. And um, basically you write down your name and how many books you took out. Um, I do keep track roughly of how many books go out and how many people visit. That's for um, statistical purposes. And... Um, because the building is now, it, it got transferred from the Women's Institute to the Whaletown Community Club, and they own the building. Uh, as I said, they don't own the property it's on, but they do own the building, and they pay for its upkeep and whatever expenses. And we put it into grant applications, so some, some statistics are probably a good idea. And um, we don't harass people about bringing books back, the expectation is that you bring the books back or at least an equal number of equal value kind of books uh, because uh, nobody has time to, you know, be tracking down people bringing books. And that seems to work really well. Um, you know, there's always a flow of books going in and out, and some of them I, I get I get some donations. Um, I get phone calls about donations, and I can take donations in small numbers. Um, I can't sort of deal with like entire estates full of books or you're moving and you want to give me all your books because uh, I just don't want to spend that much time sorting through the books. But I'm happy to come and look at some books and see what I could use because um, I have an idea of kind of what's in there and what people are reading. So, um, so and in terms of um, the pandemic, the way it's evolved has um, actually was really helpful at that point because um, 
I started getting phone calls when the regional library was shut down and people were going, oh, I need to find something to read. Can I come and look at, can I come and, you know, get the door code? And so lots of people um, all around the island got the door code and are, are still continuing to come and take books out and, and use it. So it was very, um, it was very fortuitous in a way that um, it, it had already been set up to be, um, Sort of hands hands free, um, so and in fact, I just have a couple of statistics between September of 2019 and March of 2020, which would have been the beginning of things. There were 216 books taken out that were written down. I mean, things go out that don't get written down, and between March. Um, 2020 and the end of September 2020, there were 450 books taken out. So lots more people were using it um, in the early months of the pandemic who were desperate to read. Um, so what's in there? There's um, I've kind of got it divided up into mm, mystery, adventure, popular fiction, which is everything from your Agatha Christie to James Patterson to Ian Rankin and Big Larson and, and those, you know, kind of very popular um, genre. Um, and then the other wall has a more general fiction section that isn't mystery adventure. And there's also a Canadian fiction section, which is my, one of my loves, uh, is to separate that out so people know what's, um, what, what people are writing in Canada. We have some really good writers. And so there's a, a there's like six or eight shelves of um, Canadian fiction. There's um, I've also got a section which I've recently relabeled called cozy fiction, which is your very light, um, you know, romancey kind of stuff. Um, I I've noticed people don't people haven't been taking those books out and relabeled so them and. Um, you know, in case people just haven't found them, or maybe people who like that um, that genre, you know, don't really know that the library has it. So, um, but it's a little hard to find places for all the books, and I am finally learning to cull and um, be a bit ruthless and throw books in the dumpster because there's a lot of nonfiction that is just so old and outdated that. Um, I need to make more room for what people actually are reading. So there is nonfiction um, in various categories. And then there's a whole lot of children's books. And there are um, several young parents who do come regularly and take books out for their kids. Um, so that's what's in there, and that's how it works. And that's, I think that's about all I can think of at the moment to say about the Louisa Tooker Library. I I really appreciate that. I feel like you've demystified um, uh, the Louisa Tucker Library, which has always been a little bit of a mystery. Oh, right. Um, you met, It's not a bookmobile. There's no mobile part of it. And there is also a, um, a new edition this spring, how I built a little um, shelf with a door to go on the outside. That's mm. like the little, li little free libraries. And I put... Nice. Um, culls and duplicates and things in there and people can just come by don't need to get into the library and see if there's anything there and take it away and please don't bring it back <laughs> that's perfect so can you tell us a little bit more about what 
you told us what people aren't reading, but what are people reading um, right now and maybe in particular? And do you feel like your reading or what you saw people choosing to read changed during the pandemic? No, I don't think what I am reading changed uh, at all during the pandemic, and I, I don't. Yeah, I haven't seen um, a, a major trend. What what what's very popular is the um, the mystery adventure kind of genre. Those are, I'd say, most well. That's a, a, very, a good portion of what goes out and comes. I mean, I see what comes back, um, and I see the holes in the shelves, and um, and also like just general fiction. Um, you know, people are reading fiction, and in in this library, and I, you know, we don't have very current uh, nonfiction stuff, so. Um, you know, if you want some current nonfiction, you probably need to order it from the library or get it from Marnie and Julie, um, because we we don't have like really current stuff. We've relied on donations, and and that stuff isn't necessarily coming in. But even if it is, um, I don't see it going out a lot. We've got a big memoir biography section, which I don't see. Um, much empty space on those shelves, so I, I may have to go through that a bit. Um, I do have a, a little section on books about or written in BC, and and those are come and go a bit. You know, people look like um, yeah, just books about BC, and most of them are nonfiction. You know, sort of little play stories and stuff. But um, some I, I do put a bit of fiction in there as well. Um, so yeah, I don't. I don't think what I am reading really changed a whole lot during the pandemic. I am a, a very much a fiction reader. Um, I I read. Um, I delve into some nonfiction about sort of specific topics, and and um, I just wanted to say I so enjoyed listening to Julie, and um, I hope you have her back. Um, she's got so much to say, and and some of the things that um, she was talking about, I'm going, oh, I'd really like to know more about transformative justice, and you know, um, but I, I tend to be a fiction reader. And um, there's an airplane taking off in the gorge. <laughs> um, the sounds of Cortez in the summer. And um, and I I don't do dystopian fiction either. I was really interested when you you wrote to me about you were reading um, Emily St. John Mandel because um, I I actually read her first two books. And the reason I discovered her was I actually went to school with her mother, and I met her somewhere, and we were talking about how our both our daughters were living in Brooklyn, New York, and she said, oh, my daughter is just publishing her first book. So I, I, I said, oh, I'll look for it, and kind of not expecting a lot, but I was really impressed with what um, a really good writer she is. And um, so I read the first couple, but then she's doing more... Um, you know, futuristic fiction that I haven't continued, but um, I was interested in that you were reading her as well. Uh, I, yeah. I'm, I'm currently quite obsessed with her, and um, and uh, I I 
Um, I haven't said on air, but uh, I'm really enjoying hers. And you're probably talking about her kind of more futuristic work um, being Station Eleven, which is a kind of brutal fictional account of a pandemic, very different than the current pandemic, um, with lots of Canadian. She's a Canadian writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But somehow she... It, somehow it's not... Uh, it's not dystopic, I mean, or it's not fantasy or sci-fi in the way that it seems like it ought to be when you say you're writing about a fictional pandemic, right? Like if someone said that to me, I'd be like, oh, that doesn't sound that great. Um, but she's such a relational writer. Um, and so I've, I've found through all of her books that very similar where you just sort of get lost in the story of a person and the person is ever so knowable because they usually end up being from something like from Quadra, right? Or from the equivalent of Cortez. Like there are all these island characters and, and oh, what I happens to them. I go back and, and get some, you know, find some more of her stuff. Like, yeah, I think her, I think her mother lives on Denman or Hornby. Someone lives on an island for sure because she writes about island life so um, perfectly. So anyway, I'm just I'm tossing that out and uh, as a as a uh, I hope you get to find something. Yes, and she, but she lives in New York. She lives in Brooklyn. No. We'll forgive her that. <laughs> so what else are you reading right now? Well, I made a, a list, and, and I, too, love the Maisie Dobbs books. I, I actually found her at the library when I was at the Louisa. I took her when I was sorting books. I went, oh, that looks interesting, and um, I'm making my way through. I didn't realize there were 18 of them. I've probably read about half of them, and I have one that I'm just about to start. Um, I really, really like that that series. She's a great character, and... Um, and another person that I, I always sort of connect them in my brain, I think, because the main character is a, was also a spy in the Second World War, is um, a series that's more local by a woman who lives in the Kootenays named Iona Wishaw. And she has a, a mystery series that's set in the fictional town of King's Cove in the Kootenays, which is, I guess, a... Um, a thinly veiled Queen's Bay, and um, it's very local to that area. And um, I, they're they're you know easy reads, but you know have some depth to the characters. And and um, yeah, I, and so I just somehow always kind of connect those. And I'm making my way through her series as well. So Iona Wishaw, she's a local mystery, uh, lo- localish or mystery writer, and um, so I really kind of go between, um, you know, more literary fiction, say, and um, and then I read mysteries as a, you know, a, a diversion. Um, one book that I finished recently is called Freshwater for Flowers, um, which I highly recommend to people. It's by a woman. It's, it's originally written in French and translated uh, by Valerie Perrin. And it's about a woman who is the caretaker in a cemetery in France. And um, it's, oh, it's a very multi-leveled book. It's a love story on a couple of different levels. It's a mystery. Um, it's it's just a great book, and I, I would highly recommend that. I got it out of the 
I got it, I got it off some list or other and got it out of the library. So the regional library has that um, freshwater for flowers and. Um, uh, and, and you were talking about World War II books, and um, I don't know if you've read All the Light We Cannot See oh, love by that book. Anthony Doerr, Doer, mm-hmm. D-O-E-R-R. Um, and uh, if you haven't, that's, I really recommend that one as well. Um, it's um, about the, resisted, the French resistance and uh, the Holocaust and... You know, people finding each other over a couple of, you know, generations, and um, that's a a really great book that I've read in the last year or so. And that one's also Um, about the power of radio. Yes. (laughs) I cannot see. Um, (laughs) And um, over the winter, I read the third of the um, Hilary Mantel's uh, Thomas Cromwell trilogy, which, um, oops, I can't quite remember what the last one's name was, but the first one was Wolf Hall, and it's about, um, Thomas Cromwell was uh, Henry VIII's Lord Chancellor, among various things. He was basically Henry VIII's fixer, and um, came to a bad end after, you know, the, uh, a meteoric rise and then a, a crash. Um, but Hilary Mantel is such an amazing writer, and um, she—they're big books. They'll keep you occupied for a while. But and even if you have no idea who Thomas Cromwell is or was, they will just keep you um, well occupied for a while. And right now, um, I'm about halfway through Thomas King's um, most recent book, I think, called *Sufferance*, which. Um, I'm I'm trying to um, seek out some Indigenous writers, Canadian Indigenous writers. Um, My daughter, who lives in the States, gives me lots of recommendations and says, oh, can you go get Marnie to order this because I can't get it down here. Um, uh, So, but Thomas King is uh, very well known, presumably, to a lot of people. Um, But it's interesting because it's also about someone who's the caretaker of a cemetery, um, and it's uh, and it it was published in 2021, so obviously it was written over the last couple of years. But it's very timely, um, in some ways, related to what's been happening um, of the discovery of so many graves near residential schools. So um, I'm really enjoying that. Thomas King is a, um, a a really lovely writer, and he also has a mystery series. Um, um, called the Dreadful Water series, which I think is complete now. Initially, it was written under a different name, but I think it's been brought under his name as well. Um, and I just finished reading a book called Nishka, which is by a, a poet um, named Jordan Abel. And it's a, a very you know, sort of postmodern, structured book. Um, I think Parts of it were his doctoral dissertation, and he he talks about he's a person who um, had an indigenous father and a settler mother, and um, was raised by his mother when his father basically disappeared from his life when he was very young, and and his story about discovering who he is as an indigenous person and the 
difficulties around that of of never being connected um, through his growing up to his culture and not even knowing his relatives and discovering them as an adult and um, yeah it's a it's a um, it's a structurally interesting book um, and you know uh, speaks to so many of the issues um, facing indigenous people today especially those who didn't grow up in their culture um, and oh also uh, speaking of indigenous writers I'll just mention a few names there's um, the trickster series by Eden Robinson I don't know if you're familiar with that there's three books um, which are just great. I mean, Eden Robinson is wonderful. She wrote Monkey Beach. Um, she's had lots of awards and is, is quite well known. Uh, but the Trickster series is, is great. And um, uh, what else am I reading? Some mystery nut writers. Um, I really like Ian Rankin, um, who is... I tend to like English mystery writers. I think they don't, they're not quite so violent and graphic, or not to, I don't know, just not to the extent um, that the uh, American writers are. Um, uh, Ian Rankin writes about uh, Scotland, um, and they're very intelligent um, mysteries. I find, um, I like Louise Penny. Um, there's a, an Irish writer named, um, oh, good heavens. His, he writes his mystery novels under Benjamin Black, but he's also, um, his his real name is John Banville. So he's like a, um, uh, a, a well-known, you know, he's award-winning writer. Um, and then he has this uh, series mystery series set in Ireland and they're very dark but I, I really like them <laughs> and Kate Atkinson also who is um, does uh, has some mysteries as well as her um, she's a great writer as well um, there's lots of those in the, the Whale Town Library lots of Kate Atkinson books in the library um, so I'm yeah I mostly read fiction this is a, a lovely list, and I think you are a perfect team with Julie and Marnie, who um, don't read as many mysteries, they were saying. And I, I just, you know, I, I find, uh, I also just love gentle mysteries, gentle mysteries, um, like you, a little less, uh, a little less violence, a little less graphic violence, but um, that kind of, you know, you can't put it down. You have to keep turning the pages. <laughs> well, and, and that the characters have some. There's some character development, and and the the the, the characters are complex. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I I need to have that. Uh, I agree with you. Well, this is a wonderful list. Um, nobody is going to be able to uh, have an excuse not to uh, pick up a book um, this summer. And um, I'm hoping you'll send me uh, a code for the Louisa Tucker Library because I am ready to get started. And it's great to hear that there are some series. That's one of the things I always find is so difficult is, you know, like the Maisie Dobbs series, which has so many, it's hard to get deep into these series. And then, um, 
you know, like you're just super lucky if you can ever find used or even buy um, anywhere. Oh, well, you ordered them from the um, regional library. Yes, good. Yeah, you ha- you just have to plan in advance often. To... I know because you get six of them in one week. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Or you have to wait, and you just don't want to read ahead. Um, but not everyone is as obsessive as I am. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us. This has been lovely to have an afternoon to speak about books. I super appreciate you taking the time to share the joys, um, and not just to share the joys of the of the Louisa Tucker Library, but to keep this alive for us. Um, I, I know how desperate people were, particularly uh, earlier in the pandemic when there was nothing else available. Um, and you continuing to do that work and keeping um, that library there and alive and accessible is so, so important. And mm-hmm. I, I thank you very much. Well, I, I really enjoy it. I, 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 I feel like it's my little domain. I, I just get so much joy when I go in the door and go, oh, just look at all these books. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. And um, I'm going to let listeners know that if you want more information or are uh, and cannot find um, Bernice in the phone book uh, or um, don't know her email, you're welcome to email me at you, the letter U, at folku.ca, F O L K U.ca, and I will make sure you get connected. Oh, yeah, please do. Um, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining us today, um, and I hope you'll come on some other day. Yeah, okay. Right. It's been fun. Goodbye. Bye. And thank you, neighbor, for tuning in for another really inspiring episode of Folk You. Um, I had a couple other recommendations I was just going to throw out there on the behalf of myself and my children. Um, Some of the books that I have been reading or recommending um, uh, to my kids or that they've been recommending to me that we haven't already mentioned. Um, So I, during the pandemic, finished my fourth round of Anne of Green Gables, the entire series. Uh, my fourth round of reading it as an adult. Uh, I highly recommend this series. Um, Give it another look if you have read it before. And if you haven't, because you just thought it was a kid's book, I'll say that I once did an article where I interviewed famous writers and other successful people about uh, their their most inspirational books. And Lucy Maud Montgomery, the author of the Anne of Green Gables series, was the most mentioned Uh, writer of anybody um, as far as influential books that people had read. So that um, series concludes. It's just really time. It's funny. It's meaningful. There's characters that last. And in the last uh, book, it also gets into the Canadian experience of World War One, which I think is pretty, um, pretty important. Uh, and then for so that's some great um, middle age fiction as well, and great for adults. Um, some other middle age fiction that I recommend um, in that World War II theme, the war that saved my life, uh, is an amazing story of a girl named Ada who's disabled because of a club foot and is kept locked up. And it's the story of it's basically a story of redemption and how it's possible to find love in a broken world. Really timely, super great story for middle-aged readers. 
I also recommend in the um, genre of books by indigenous writers, the Residential School Diary of Violet Pachines. This is also for middle-age readers, and this is a fictional diary of Violet written by an actual residential school survivor, Ruby Slipperjack, and it's part of the Dear Canada series. Really um, well-done introduction uh, to the topic of residential school and the legacy it's left behind, but in an appropriate for middle-age readers way. Um, and I already mentioned the Wind Stars are Scattered graphic novel for that age. And uh, Julie also mentioned that I was talking to her about a book club for young adults that, um, well, for young adult books, probably more for teenagers that I'm looking to put together in the fall. And I would love your suggestions for this series. Uh, it is I'm I'm looking at it through the lens of protagonists, probably teenagers or young adults mostly, who are suffering from isolation in some form. So the books that I'm considering so far are Diary of Anne Frank, uh, which is a real diary of the 15-year-old Jewish girl whose family has gone into hiding during World War II. It's an incredible book if you haven't read it. Um, Lord of the Flies, so what happens when a bunch of young boys end up alone on an island? That's a pretty intense read. The Fault in Our Stars is a more modern book that looks at two teenagers with incurable cancer that fall in love. And what does it mean to live knowing death is just around the corner? Um, and particularly for young people, a really beautiful um, story. And I was also thinking about possibly The Scarlet Letter, uh, which takes place in Puritan Colony in New England when a young woman uh, ends up pregnant, presumably out of wedlock. So these are some classics um, and some contemporary that look at isolation um, in perhaps a slightly different way. And I'd love your thoughts on the kinds of things that teenagers and young adults can read to really introduce them to the larger world of what's possible in fiction. Uh, so please send in your ideas. You can do that at the letter U, U at folk U, F-O-L-K-U dot C-A and share your stories and ideas with me. And I just want to remind you that CKTZ, your lovely, amazing supportive, incredible community radio station uh, is doing a fundraiser, a Share the Love fundraiser. And I just want to put my own little call out um, for you to consider donating. Uh, at this point, Folk You uh, exist almost entirely on the radio, and we would not be here if it wasn't for the radio station, which is a tiny little volunteer-run um, donation-driven station, and we depend on you, and as we all know, we have not had our fun, amazing, community-inspiring lip syncs uh, recently and other primary ways of fundraising, so we're relying on these alternative ways of fundraising. Uh, you can donate now by going to cortezradio.ca, right there on the front page is a big button that says donate now and basically it's possible to pay in almost every possible way you can also show up at the market and there's always someone here working um, in front of the radio station uh, outside uh, who will accept your donations and you can even donate and say that you're donating for Cortez Radio's 
uh, Folk You radio show. Not that you have to. You can also just donate to the radio station. But um, I, if you want to support uh, Folk You, this is also the best way to do that. So I'm going to play our fancy little jingle for you so you can uh, be further inspired. And then I will sign off until next week. Thanks, neighbor, for another great episode of Folk You. Fundraising Drive. Share the love with CKTZ 89.5 FM. Find out how you can share the love at CortezRadio.ca. Share the love with CKTZ. Think. That's it for another edition of Folk You Radio. If you'd like to learn more about Folk You or subscribe to our podcast series, visit us at folku.ca. That's F-O-L-K-U dot C-A. Folk You is produced at CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Radio dot C-A. My little brain's almost always got something lame it's got to say. It's embarrassing, all the stupid things.